Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. You can open your Bibles if you want to Romans chapter 14. In the interest of uh, time this morning, I'm going to forego even a short review of the preceding chapters, except to say that Of course, we've had 11 chapters of doctrine and then uh, Paul arguing and demonstrating that salvation has come to Jew and Gentile the same way through the finished work of Christ on the cross. Therefore, we should live in a manner that glorifies and honors the God who saved us. And then in chapter 12, Paul is beginning to explain and flesh out what this looks like. Chapter 12 is about renewing our mind, training ourselves to think as believers meditate on the right things and it's about recognizing and appreciating different gifts and different personalities even that are present in the body of christ and it is an appeal to deep authentic fellowship christ-centered and others-centered fellowship chapter 12 also instructs us to as far as possible live in peace with all men chapter 13 which is what we looked at last week not in great detail uh, but In chapter 13, we get some guidance regarding our relationship as Christians with human government. We recognize that there are three great institutions that God is behind, that God ordained. And that is the family, the church, and human government. God works in all three of these things. He reveals facets of his own personality through all three of these institutions. Uh, But the overarching principle when it comes to the Christian's relationship to government is the principle of submission and authority. The central point is that if we have lived our lives, uh, if we live our lives by the commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, we would have nothing to fear from those who, quote-unquote, bear the sword, those who are in authority. Now, yes, this is generally speaking, and yes, there are times when our faith itself comes under attack. These are the things we discussed last week. There are times when uh, you are, uh, biblically, we have to disobey the authority. We still have to submit to certain things like the punishment and the penalty when we do that. But uh, you know, the, the simplest example is if the government says it's illegal to read your Bible, it's illegal to pray, it's illegal to evangelize, we are bound as Christians to disobey that. And thank God we are not there yet here in America. But uh, the issue Paul is addressing is that the legitimate laws that govern those who have no regard for God, in other words, I... Uh, we, we, we all know people who have no regard for the word of God, and yet they still live under a law that says, don't murder, don't steal, etc. But Paul's saying, you as believers, you don't need that law. If you live according to love your neighbor as yourself, you would, you'd be living this way regardless of the law. But we recognize that God has put human institutions there as an act of his grace and mercy because of a godless society. At least they've got the law to govern them. All right. Now, in chapter 14, he gets a a little more specifically into what we call the law of liberty. And I didn't plan it this way, but hey, this is kind of July 4th weekend, right? Maybe it's next weekend to you. I don't know. But here we are heading into Independence Day, and we see the words freedom and liberty, right? Uh, All over the place, T-shirts, banners, commercials, everything. And now we're talking about the law of liberty in chapter 14 of Romans. Let me read the first verse, and then I'll read this first section. In the very first verse, it says, and we, we introduced this briefly last week, 
receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. And this is where he's going to be talking about, and we're going to read the first 13 verses here in a second. When he's talking about receive them, he's talking about welcome them at Christ's table. Welcome them into your fellowship, uh, into the fellowship of believers, uh, but not for the purpose of disputing doubtful things. You need to understand before we go too far into this that there is a difference, and it is a significant difference. It is a scriptural difference that Paul will address later. Uh, There's a difference between sin and doubtful things. When he says, receive the the weaker brother, but not to dispute over doubtful things, he's saying, don't worry about sin or anything anybody does. Just welcome and love them. That's not the theme of Romans chapter 14. Let's look at what is, all right? Chapter 14, again, verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. There it is. You are weak if you are a vegetarian. No. <laughs> we'll explain this here in a second. I would put it the other way. If you eat only vegetables, you're weak. Let, uh, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. Let not him, him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be able to make him stand for God is... He will, be, yeah, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not, uh, who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each individual, sorry, each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Now, let's first recognize what the specific issue was and why. This is an assembly of believers in Rome of Gentile background and Jewish background. They're coming from different backgrounds, but again, to the same table, to the same assembly of believers. And the Jews, when recently he's talking about the meat and vegetables thing, the Jews did have very specific dietary laws about what kind of meat they could eat. And not only that, the meat had to be prepared. It had to be killed a certain way. It had to be handled a certain way. It couldn't be touched by certain things. And so if a Jew comes into a Gentile society and they're serving meat, he's probably just going to pass because he didn't know maybe for sure what kind of meat it was. He didn't know, was it kosher? Had it been prepared correctly? Had it been killed correctly? So he's going to play it safe and eat just vegetables. Now, Paul refers to this as a weakness because, and not because, I don't think he means this in an insulting fashion at all. I think what he's kind of drawing out here is that one of the manifestations of immaturity and weakness and lack of faith is legalism. Uh, Since I don't have a secure relationship and and just this knowing, uh, and therefore I don't have a perfectly clean conscience before God, what I can do is I can manifest my 
uh, my holiness by strictly following a set of rules, even if they seem arbitrary. Immaturity and weakness will yield legalism in certain circumstances. Now, the appeal here is simply this. You can embrace your brother and respect his different views even if you disagree with them. And even if you disagree, you don't have to argue about it. You see, we think, well, I, I'm, I'm going to respect you even though you, you, uh, you hold a different view and I'm going to embrace you as a brother, but we're going to talk about this till I get you straight. Paul says this is a doubtful thing. It's not even worth arguing about. Nobody's salvation is going to hang on whether you have a strip of bacon today or anything else, all right? And when I talk about this, uh, this manifestation of a weak conscience, a weak conscience being legalism, let me give you a couple of uh, examples about this. I can remember this story that Kenneth Copeland told years ago, and I probably remember it because I think Dad and I were remembering this the other day, that uh, it seemed like most nights at our house, uh, no matter what the meal was, there was always bread and butter on the table. And, uh, and man, I was a big fan of bread and butter. Just, I mean, just well, half the time it was bread and margarine, but still. Finish off whatever meal with a couple, three, four, five, six, seven slices of white sunbeam bread and butter. And uh, Copeland was telling the story how he would eat, he would, whatever he was eating, he would eat a loaf of bread. If it was on the table, he would eat until it was gone. And he started to gain significant amounts of weight, and he began to pray about it. And the Lord told him, you need to stop eating bread. Stop it. Take it off the table. And all the people on keto said, amen, right? Uh, but he told, he told uh, Brother Copeland just to stop it. So that's a problem. You just need to not have bread in the house because you know how you are. When it's on your table, you'll eat it also get rid of it. He said, so he took that seriously. He started to lose the weight and get healthy, but he was so passionate about it that he began every time he saw somebody else eating bread, he would begin to think of them as being sinful. Oh, Lord told me bread's wrong. And then God had to arrest him again. I don't know if God spoke to him in a dream, in a vision, or if, or, or if an, another believer had to confront him. But God got the message, no, 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 no. Bread's wrong for you. It's not wrong for everybody else. Okay? You see the difference? This is important. There's a, there was a guy uh, I used to fellowship with in Indiana. When I went to a, a Christian and Missionary Alliance church, I went to a small group. And this was an older guy. And this was a guy who, I, who in every other respect, I would consider him a mature believer. I mean, he was gracious, he hosted our group, and uh, somehow, and I heard this happen more than once, he would get on the topic of pork, and the blood would come to his face. It's an abomination! And he, and he, he had, you know, he'd done the studies of all the, the food, the dietary restrictions in, in the law, and he came up to the conclusion, and he tied that in, as other ministers and other health experts have done, look at the way, that, look at the pig's food cycle. They don't digest their food nearly as long as a, as a cow does. It's inherently uh, unhealthy. And so he's tying that together. This is why God restricted pork, and no Christian who cares about the temple of Christ would ever put this vile stuff in his body. It's like, okay, man. Uh, now, how do we respond to that as mature believers? I'll tell you what, it, what you don't do. You don't sneak bacon in to his house to serve after small groups. That's it. You respect his beliefs. I'm not going to agree with it. Are you kidding? If God didn't want us to eat bacon, why does it taste so good, right? Of course he wants us to eat bacon. Reminds me of another story. 
I may have shared this one before too, but there's a uh, Catholic priest and a rabbi sharing a train car. And they're reading their newspapers, but they acknowledge each other's presence. And uh, finally, the Catholic priest puts his paper down and says, uh, excuse me, says, could, I, could I ask you a personal slash religious question? Sure, sure. He says, uh, it's true th- that you guys are not allowed to eat any form of pork, correct? He says, yes, this is true. Have you ever tasted it? Have you ever tasted it, pork? And so the rabbi says, yes, yes, I confess that I have. In my younger days, I happened to be away from my Jewish community. I was in the house of, uh, I was actually staying at a hotel, and there was some bacon, some sausage on the breakfast bar. I slipped some into a napkin. I took it up to my room, and I ate it. And the priest nods his head and says, tasted pretty good, didn't it? Yes, I admit that it did. But I've honored my religion ever since. So they go back to reading their paper, and then the, the rabbi says, may I ask you a question, Father? Sure. You had to take a vow of celibacy to become a Catholic priest, didn't you? Yes, that's correct. But have you ever? Yes, he said, yes, I have. I admit to have uh, failed in that area. In my younger days, before I took my vows, I did happen to uh, uh, conduct my way in a way that that would not honor my vows today, and I have experienced the pleasures of the flesh. But I only did it that one time. And they kind of nod their heads, go back to reading their papers for a second, and then the rabbi says, better than pork, though, wasn't it? (laughs) Now... (laughs) What that is, is flaunting your liberty, (laughs) all right? (laughs) Paul is saying, and I get different here, you know, you got Jewish belief and Catholic belief, but Paul is saying, look, if you are aware of your brother's convictions, respect them. Don't break fellowship over something like convictions about diet. Or his other example is the holy days. You know, the, the Jewish festivals and the Jewish fasts were set up in a particular way to remind the Jewish people of their history, to show us things about God, and there's certain value even we as Gentiles can pull out of that. But if the Roman, uh, the, the, the Greek, the Gentile, uh, comes out of a background where there's nothing that he can relate that to, the, the Gentile's not supposed to look at the Jew and say, you need to be free of all those old regulations because they're still near and dear to the Jewish Christian's heart. But the Jew is also not supposed, is supposed to look at the Gentile and not go, you need to adopt this stuff. You can't really know God unless you're practicing the same things we're practicing. They're coming from different backgrounds and what they are both supposed to be doing and, should be, and are trying to do is honor God with their choices. One honors him by keeping these days. The other one honors him by thanking him for the freedom to just worship him any way we can that honors him on any day and eat anything. If I'm going to eat a certain uh, type of food, I need to eat it and thank God for it. And if I'm going to abstain, I need to thank him for the things that I can eat or that I feel free to eat. There's, there's, there's room for both parties to legitimately express their convictions, but uh, again, the onus is on the Christian with the liberty not to flaunt that liberty. And, uh, but likewise, the weaker one is still instructed not to condemn someone just because they don't share his convictions. Let me read on here, and I'll come back to... Because again, it's more and more of the same point. But let me read this next section, beginning in verse 14. I know, 
and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet, if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. This is, he introduces, introduce, he reiterates again, what's your goal here? to convert somebody to your way of thinking on something like this. Again, we are not talking about the doctrinal issues of salvation. We're talking about a narrow group of uh, things and ideas that Paul calls doubtful things. You know, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not a doubtful thing. But whether you can eat certain types of meat, it's doubtful for some people. And he's saying, if this brother, and, and he puts, Paul puts categorically, he says, Look, I know it's okay to eat these foods in God's eyes. But if this person doesn't sense that liberty, if his conscience still convicts him, even though in the grand scheme of things there's nothing wrong with pork, he's still sinning by eating because he's violating his conscience. He's not saying he'll always feel that way. I guess I would put it this way. Let God work on him. If God frees him from it, great. It's not your job. Don't sweat this stuff. And don't flaunt your liberty. Don't sit there and say, boy, I bet you wish you could eat this, don't you? Ha, 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 ha. And, 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 or make fun of them for having this conscience because you might cause them to stumble. You might cause them to do something that violates their conscience just because maybe they can't offer uh, what is, to your satisfaction, a rational defense for believing what they believe. The stronger brother doesn't flaunt. The weaker brother doesn't condemn. Look at verse 21. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. I've got to be careful here. I know I've danced around this a few times, but this is probably a better and more relevant application of this principle in our society because we don't live in a society where where the meat issue is a big one. I know some people are vegetarians for health reasons, and yes, some people are vegetarians for moral reasons. I can't eat anything with a face, some people say. And I say, cut its face off. I'm sorry. No, no, no. There's probably people in here who feel that way. There was a picture that Emily sent uh, while she was in China, of a big plate of chicken. And the meat looked pretty good, but there were two whole chicken heads on the plate, cooked. I don't know if you were supposed to eat that part or if it was decorative, like we serve a fish with its head on. But anyway, I, I'm not trying to make fun. There might, some of you might feel that way. But You've got to understand that for the Jew, not eating, meat was, not eating certain meats was a purely religious expression. All right? And we don't really run into that here. What do we run into? What's the big thing that people are, one of the big things that people are divided about? Alcohol, right? I know some people who, ju- who absolutely, and these are ministers that I respect and individuals that I respect who say it is absolutely a sin. And I know some who say there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Or, and I know some who say, not only say there's absolutely nothing wrong with it, they will go to uh, what I would consider the extreme of flaunting it. 
Bob Yandian always, uh, always well, not always, but as long as I heard him teach about it, always taught that there were certain sins that he considered geographical sins. Whereas if he were in Europe, if he were ministering in Germany and was invited to the pastor's home, there would almost certainly be alcohol served, and he would not feel convicted at all about partaking. But when he was in America, because there were certain standards, certain views, even people who didn't have an issue with drinking alcohol would, would sometimes look askance at a minister or a Christian who did. So he just chose not to. All right? What's the bottom line? If your conscience troubles you about drinking, then you better not drink. And I've said before, there are compelling reasons for Christians not to drink. And there, and there are indications in the word of God that there are certain people who just, you know, what, what, in Proverbs, it is not for kings to drink, O Lemuel. There, there's this advice. If you, however, feel the freedom to enjoy that, I am not going to be the guy, unless I hear something from heaven that says, it is a sin and shame on you if you do. But don't flaunt it. Because you know, if you, it, unless you have your head in the sand, you know that bothers people. It bothers some Christians to see other Christians drink. All right? So these are things that you enjoy in the privacy of your, home, your own home, but you don't flaunt it. You don't tempt another person to violate their own conscience. But those of you who have made the determination not to do it, you had better grow up and let other people enjoy their freedom. If it's not a freedom you have, that's fine. But you cannot call somebody who has that freedom a sinner unless it is expressly condemned in the word of God. And the issue of drink, especially in the New Testament, is something that Paul uses here and in, I think, Galatians as well. Uh, maybe Colossians, we'll get there. But where he says these are not the issues we should be arguing about. If you've got a freedom to eat something, drink something, don't get caught up into this legalism of touch not, taste not, handle not. But if you can't glorify God with what you're doing, then don't do it. These are not, it's, either way, do not take a stand on your liberty in that area or any other liberty if it's going to cost you fellowship with the church. All right? But also don't take a stand on, uh, on your conscience and force everybody or require everybody to meet your standard uh, and then break fellowship with them on that. Is, that. is that kind of clear where I stand on that thing? Where I think you ought to stand on it? Where I think Paul stood on it? All right? Let me give you uh, another uh, example from Scripture. And, well, first let me give you a piece of, of advice. If you're in a situation where somebody offers you something that you can, don't feel that you can enjoy with a clear conscience, here's what you do. You say, no, thank you. Is that hard? You don't have to make a speech. Now, I'm not going to drink that because that's the devil's potion. It's sinful. The uh, Bible says not to be drunk with wine, and you start quoting every negative scripture about alcohol. You know what? Just say, not my bag. If they ask you why it's not your bag, you can explain. Okay? When Daniel... And the Hebrew children were, were in, in Babylon. They made a decision not to partake of the king's dainties, his delicacies. It doesn't specify if this was non-kosher food or what. They just felt that they would have a clearer line to hear from God if they limited, what the, limited their diet. Bring us vegetables, fruits and vegetables, and we're, we're going to eat that so we can concentrate on hearing from God. You know, they didn't. 
when, when the king's servants came in there with the food, they didn't say, we're not going to pollute ourselves with this filthy Babylonian food. We're clean, pure Jews. No, they respectfully requested something else. Why? Because this wasn't a sin issue. This was a matter of conscience and devotion on their part. And it paid off. Versus, if you go back even before, even pre-law, all right, you go to Joseph in Potiphar's house. And you remember this? He's, the head, he's risen to this great uh, position, working for this great man in Egypt. And uh, Potiphar's wife makes a move on him, grabs him and says, come, lie with me. And Joseph says, what? He doesn't say, not my bag. Just, you know, no offense. You know, you're very beautiful. I just don't think I want to do that. What's he say? No, I can't do this great sin against my master and God. When it was a sin issue, he called it out. And these are the, we got to be careful. Choose our battles, which hills to die on, right? We grow in grace, and we can talk about these things. And perhaps God will arrest us with regard to certain liberties we now enjoy. Part of the maturing process might be, and almost certainly will be at some point, God saying, you know, here's something you probably ought to lay down. Here's something I'm asking you or telling you to lay down for my sake, for the gospel's sake. Perhaps someone will find themselves freed from a certain dietary restriction. Hey, you don't need to sweat this much anymore. You enjoy this. But it needs to be God who does the work. We don't do anybody any favors by bringing them under condemnation over doubtful things. And we do them no favors by, by causing them to violate their conscience. We can call it an effort to free them, but if we're causing them to violate their conscience before God has freed them from something, then we are causing them to sin. And this is precisely what Paul is telling us not to do. You're putting a stumbling, stumbling block and causing somebody to take offense. This is a faith church. And if love is not the underpinning of whatever it is we're believing for, we're going to fail. We're not going to receive the things we're believing for. And this, and this is, again, at the heart of Paul's message here. If you're doing these things, if you're flaunting your liberty, but just calling it enjoying your freedom in Christ, uh, you're not walking in love. And that's what he wants us to be doing. Not just Paul, but Jesus. And, uh, you know, we look at things like, I'll be honest with you. Do you know why I wear a suit and tie or a coat and tie on Sundays? I do that for you guys. I've told you the story. When I was in Farmer City, uh, I, I, uh, uh, we, 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 had a, we already had a, they already had a more relaxed dress code than we did here on Wednesday nights. And I told them, you know, uh, we've... Uh, we always have a little bit more relaxed dress code, you know, and, and explained my, my take that it really, you know, what you wore, you know, kingdom of God's not eat and drink, it's, neither is it blue jeans and suits or whatever. Uh, I said, you know, the day might come when I'll show up on Sunday wearing, uh, wearing blue jeans. And I, and I just casually said, if that kind of thing bothers you, let me know. And they did. I got emails. I got notes. And I didn't have to, I didn't argue with them. I didn't have to, hey, no, you need to back this up with 10 scriptures. Big deal. How hard is it? I'll tell you how hard it is. On days like this, I feel like I'm choking between here and the car. But you're worth it. This isn't a matter of if, I'm not, if I don't have the tie on, I'm not anointed. And I will never be the guy who shows up in cutoffs in a tank top for church, all right? I'll be real honest. I would rather be up here in blue jeans and a nice T-shirt or an untucked shirt like I wear on Wednesday night. But you know what? 
you've got an expectation? Easy for me to meet? And I know what you're thinking, Scott. If I could make a suit look as good as you make it look, I'd wear nothing but suits. <laughs> this, this, and it's a small, and I know in the grand scheme of things, this is very small. But this is Scott Millis walking in love to you guys. And I know a lot of you don't care either. I'm doing it for those of you who are weak in faith. Man, I'm just digging a hole. Sorry. I love you guys. And a lot of you have greater, greater faith than I do. Chapter 15. I'm going to read six verses because this completes this thought before he moves into another section. I don't know why Paul started chapter 15 here. That's a joke. Hope you know, Paul didn't write the Bible. The Bible wasn't written in chapters and verses. People divided that up many, many years later. But we read in, verse, in chapter 15, verse 1, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to what? To edification, building up. For even Christ did not please himself. This is important. Underline this. Highlight this. Even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who approached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before <clears throat> were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now, may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Je- Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's where I would wind this up. And praise and worship team, you could be coming on up here. Do you think it is uh, too bold a statement to say that Jesus Christ had rights? Now, I know. He took on flesh, took the form of man, operated on a man, as a man, but you understand who he was, right? This is Jesus Christ, God the Son. Jesus had some rights. Remember the old song, He could have called 10,000 angels. And, and Jesus said that. You think I couldn't, if I, if I wanted to get out of this, you think I couldn't call out to my Father and he would send legions of angels to get me out of this? He had rights. But he put his rights below his responsibilities for the sake of you, for the sake of me. He didn't concentrate on what he was allowed to do, what he could do. He made it his mission to do what he did for you and for me. He didn't just lay down his rights. He laid down his life for the sake of those who had not yet believed. Stand up. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.